Welcome to The Source by Hayes Talent Solutions, bringing you insights into the world of work. In this series, we'll be talking to industry experts about market trends, topics, and strategies, and how they're affecting organizations like yours. I'm your host, Alyssa Levitt. Hey everyone, thanks for joining part two of More Reasons Your Direct Sourcing Program Will Fail. If you didn't catch part one, no worries. We'll be giving a quick recap here soon. We do have with us again, Rob Moffat and Al Gravsky. I'll go ahead and hand it over to them for some introductions. So Rob, if you want to start us off. Uh, my name is Rob Moffat. I'm our uh, SVP for Client Solutions over here in America. I, have, uh, I wear two hats. Uh, I'm responsible for uh, developing and improving our services to our clients in the Americas, but also sit as part of a virtual team in effectively our service development um, functions as well. And uh, hey, everybody, my name is Al Grajewski. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Maya Systems. Uh, we built a recruitment automation platform powered by conversational AI and very close partners with Hay. So we're excited to, to share more about how we've been collaborating in the context of direct sourcing. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Now we're going to go ahead and uh, move into what exactly is direct sourcing? And, you know, it's a really hot topic for right now, but why does everybody have a different definition? So, Rob, I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to you um, if you want to explain kind of what our definition of direct sourcing is and, you know, why it's so important. But in, in simple ter terms, the direct sourcing is, as the name suggests, it's sourcing talent directly for and behalf of an organization. So typically this would involve leveraging you know, the brand, the estate, the followers and promoters of an organization and to build a proprietary database for it. And it can actually run internally or externally. So some organizations done it themselves and obviously some organizations have outsourced it to a provider such as they. Although the US is the largest staffing or MSP market uh, in the globe and is arguably the more, uh, you know, the most mature, it's actually been a, a, a latecomer, a latecomer to the direct sourcing party. The direct sourcing has been a staple of um, MSP and contingent worker programs in the rest of the globe for nigh on 15 years. You know, I, I was involved in launching my first one over in the UK, at a large investment bank in 2005. Uh, but it is, uh, I've particularly seen it increasing here. It's been a topic that's been at the last three CDRIF CD programs. And we see it being increasingly being able to, we feel ourselves a bit of a disruptor and able to bring some of these new ones to the market. Um, Al, I don't know if you'd say the same, have you seen like the uh, development or increase over the last couple of years? Yeah, I have. And you know, I absolutely agree with your definition. I'd say the one thing uh, that I see that's a bit of a misnomer is that it's not only about mining the database that you already have. It's about filling, you know, through multiple sources across a wide range of different um, you know, areas in, in terms of attracting uh, talent. And also the best programs are about maintaining that relationship, right? And we're going to be talking about that. How do you uh, bring folks in that you're already, uh, you know, working with? Perfect. Thank you both. So now we're going to go through a quick recap. Uh, there were five main takeaways that came out of our last presentation. And um, Rob, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to start us off with those, if you would. It's important to, in the first instance, to segment your demand and identify which roles it's most useful for. You know, direct sourcing isn't the answer to everything. Niche suppliers, alumni, internals have their place in it, and it's identifying those, and particularly ones that have a, uh, a sort of a, a repeat uh, or roles that you recruit on a, a frequent basis. 
that was our first one, segmentation. The second one that we've got up there on the top, we call find and engage. The days when you posted an advert and all the best talent was clamoring to work for you um, immediately are aggressively in the past. Um, the talent is there, but there is an expectation or a need to go and find that talent. So proactively going out and in, uh, finding that talent, building relationships. Um, but that's not you know, a one-off interaction, you know, finding talent and saying, you know, would, are you interested in a job? You know, we've got an opportunity. I like your CV. You know, there is, you're not going to get a warm response. So it's important to build a relationship for them. And this is what we call the second half of it, but the engage bit. I'm, I'm actually going to hand over to Ayal now to talk a little bit more about you know, how we build these or how we engage works for us. Thanks, Rob. So when we talked at CWS, you know, a, a big theme was you can buy all this great technology, you can build a beautiful career site, add a CRM, you know, invest in a robust recruitment marketing program. Uh, but once you've acquired all of those candidates, whether they're prior candidates that you've engaged with in the past or, or new ones uh, entering through inbound channels, it's critical to have a strategy around engagement, right? So how do you ultimately engage, nurture, and convert those candidates into the right opportunities and, and through the funnel? Um, so, you know, when, when we look at engage, obviously it's a topic that we're particularly passionate about at Maya. Um, we think about the combination of efficiency and experience. Um, so it's not all about just pure automation. It's how do you deliver a positive experience through an engagement model? And our vision from the very beginning was how can you enable that kind of conversational approach to deliver a human-like engagement with your candidate pool without needing to really scale the human side. But it's so critical that handoff, once you've got a warm lead, how do you then pass it on to a recruiter? So we'll talk a little bit about process and, and how, um, how you need to really build that that balanced approach. Yeah, I mean, we, we were saying Adam, that some of the less successful programs we've seen have arguably gone too far down the perceived efficiency route. So, you know, automation, low touch, um, uh, or you might say reactive, uh, whereas some of the more successful projects, they have a proactive approach and have got a focus or a balance of the experience and efficiency um, was one of them. And sort of the, the final point we brought out when the conference was around resources and expertise. Uh, we put up a we put up a slide that was talking about uh, it was a quote from one of our one of the organisations we've spoken to, and they said they effectively woefully underestimated the resources or expertise that this might require. Uh, you know, so it can be delivered, but we used the quote around if you build it, they will come. You know, and there was a perception, you know, a website and a brand and, and, and we're all good. But as we said previously, you know, people expect to be found or you get the top talent you need to find them. And you, you do have to invest the time, the resources and also have the expertise um, to go through an engagement strategy. So, quick summary of what we went through so previously, you know, so a successful program has clear objectives and segmentation. It is a it has a program that isn't just uh, reactive. It's find and engage. It focuses on experience and efficiency, and you've got to make sure that you've got the resources or expertise um, within it. Um, so that was sort of a couple of weeks ago, and that was uh, it was an enjoyable uh, enjoyable um, 
presentation and we had a number of conversations that led out from that and this is a result of some of those because it interestingly reinforced some of the uh, questions or queries we've got but also raised a couple of new ones so with the controversial title of um, more reasons your direct sourcing program will fail what I wanted to what we wanted to do is bring together one or two of the other things that have come out and have a little bit of a discussion around those and hopefully uh, give some um, interesting uh, sound bites and interesting hints for everyone okay um, so the first one that came out um, or we're going to call them misconceptions uh, and the mi potential misconception number one is that best in class is best in class it's an obvious sentence uh, and it, you know, it's almost self-evident you would suggest but we've spoken to a couple of organizations that have gone down the route of looking at multiple parties to deliver different parts of the direct sourcing program and to put that in context what i'm saying is they're organizations that has either has a contingent worker program be it an external msp or an internal one they've then gone and selected a client relationship management or candidate relationship management uh, system they've then uh, selected a separate party to be the curator or you know the, the uh, of that and then potentially even another party to deliver other bits of the technology the engagement and the content uh, etc but again each of those may be a best-in-class provider but does bringing four best-in-class providers together actually deliver a best-in-class um, service and our contention, our contention uh, would be that that wouldn't be the route to go down. Um, interestingly, to one customer, they were there was a lot of presentation or talk around how well the parties worked together and how many meetings they had and how well they collaborated. Uh, you know, it, it was quite an emphasis on how well they did, which I found quite interesting that they felt the need to keep stating that one as well uh, for us. And then when we were talking about some of the results. They weren't necessarily the results that you know we would have expected or potentially um, could have been there. So, I, obviously, though we've got two parties here, so it's an interesting position for us to uh, say that you know you shouldn't go for multiple parties when we've got two of them here. Um, but Al, I'd be interested in your view around you know, the one party versus multiple party single accountability and how you've worked either with us and or others for this one. Yeah, so you know, I agree that finding a packaged offering where you have maybe multiple parties, but these are parties that have already built a packaged offering together that have already integrated, have ref referenceable customers and, and use cases um, that they've proven through this combined offering. You know, the, the challenge with trying to go out and find different vendors and, and trying to piece them together is a so it's gonna be a long contracting process. Um, we know how many people have been burned when they bought multiple solutions and ultimately find out that, hey, these solutions don't integrate well together or there's a long road to ultimately getting into that kind of final ideal end state. So from our standpoint, we've always looked at from a partnership strategies, how can we collaborate with companies, for example, where We've already built in our solution and we've spent years really perfecting and mastering how to deliver our combined technology and services to deliver positive outcomes for our customers. So we view that as, as the best approach. And we've done that with a few different uh, partners over the years. And uh, from a buyer perspective, it's 
the ideal situation. You, you get all of the pieces you want, but in a way where there's this shared accountability and this proven uh, solution that's pre-built and, and embedded. Yeah, I mean, obviously, full disclosure, Al, obviously, we've worked together on a number of projects, but we, you know, we formed the partnership and took it to our customers as a joint proposition, you know, it, it rather rather than a forced marriage um, at, at, at any one stage. But it's interesting that the there is a couple of organisations have gone down that route. I mean, the one that's most interesting to me is separating out direct sourcing from the MSP provider. Uh, I mean, as a company, Hayes... All of our well, all of our direct sourcing programs that currently stands are through our own MSP program, uh, and we get uh, we get significant benefit from that from both from a cost perspective because you know we can share the infrastructure costs and the account management costs, so it's better for the um, the customer from a client perspective. Um, but you know, in my personal opinion, I think you know, a single company solution is always going to give you a better visibility and coordination. You know, if you're looking for the speed for hire and some of the other uh, speed for hire and the quality, the fact you've got one team with forward visibility and able to actually look at them, I think works um, best for yourselves. You know, and then when we work with yourselves, incorporating uh, Maya as the you know, sort of the partner technology into it rather than having a separate one, you know, has worked for us. So, I, yeah, I, I would advocate you do have to pick the right partner if you're going to have a single partner, but, you know, actually having a a reduced number of um, uh, people accountable for it. So I would contend, uh, interesting enough, best in class isn't always best in class in this regard. I'm not saying it can't be, um, but it isn't a de facto one. And AL on this particular subject would be interesting. You're just, you're closing on. Yeah. And just to add to that, you can have best in class, Rob, but um, don't try to string together a number of products because it's part of your vision and you think you're going to ultimately get that ideal outcome. You know, find find a best in class solution that's already been built out and proven. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the first one that we looked at. The that was a came out from a couple of conversations um, that we've had. It was a, a post and organisations that approached us to look at it. So it's an interesting discussion we're having at the moment. And the second one that came out, and um, this, this was a little bit of a more, if not controversial one, but we, the two parties, I suppose, come at this and have slightly different experiences of it. So potential misconception number two, alumni is the answer. What I mean by this is there's a, an understanding, a belief, a perception that uh, particularly looking at um, on an MSP program or temporary or contract, if you can capture people who previously worked for you as an organization and you know, re-engage and redeploy, that you know, by definition must be the most efficient and most successful um, way of doing this. And we had some discussions and that class was from you know from our perception uh, from our position, it isn't always the most successful um, or it hasn't always been the most successful. And that we have we've seen some better and more successful conversion rates in building direct sourcing around new talent or found talent rather than just exclusively known talent. So I'm not saying that it can't be done or isn't done. I'm just saying that a perception that there is the, the silver bullet may not be there. But um, AL, I know you've probably had or possibly had a little bit more success in this area and seen a, a slightly different bit. Yeah, you know, I think a lot, 
the thing about alumni is these are workers that you've already brought on board that already have a relationship with your brand and that are working for you that, that are on payroll right and they're generating revenue for your business so if you're unable to redeploy that resource that's you know uh revenue that goes away right and that's a resource that's a known commodity and a known relationship that has um you know association with your brand so i viewed the alumni very highly in terms of wanting and needing to improve our strategies to to redeploy those associates but i do agree that <clears throat> there's a much broader pool out there of new candidates than potentially your existing alumni so Proportionately, you're probably going to have more success in filling roles from a, a source pool of candidates versus your alumni. But I do want to state that there are ways to really improve the effectiveness of how you redeploy alumni. And, and from my standpoint, it's so important to have a, a, a strong engagement model that allows yeah. you to check in, that allows you to understand, did your contract end date move to understand when to proactively engage and with what content. And the data is so important. We'll talk about that more as we go through the discussion. But having an updated understanding of the preferences of the user and things like the contract end date to be able to automatically engage that person at the right time is going to increase the the, the results and outcomes of redeploying those individuals. Yeah. And in many, many instances, that's an ever-moving target. Yeah, it's the, the the days of a clean start started on X date and finished on on Y date. You know, projects move, dates move, etc. So, um, I suppose it's around the ability to track uh, track and record and and get that data uh, data in there. I, I think the other thing you were talking about is so, uh, I think the the challenge sometimes is what I would call the critical mass. So you know, you've got a within an alumni pool. You say it's it's a smaller pool there. So there may be high value individuals there, and you know you would like to, but whether the opportunity um, does arise for them, and it, it does remind me of an initiative. However, that we you know, we tried to, we were trying to introduce some of our customers a couple of years ago, and again I'll be interested in your view on this one. It, if we're talking about critical mass being successful, we approached a couple of our customers who are in a an aligned market the proposition for them of potentially sharing their alumni pool so effectively having a joint one so what that would have done is increase the size of the alumni pool it would have introduced an element of competition into it because you know it wouldn't have been an exclusive one and admittedly this was pre-covid and pre all of the effects of working but it it wasn't something that we got a, a huge amount of buy into but it would have increased that again i mean i'd be interested Interesting your view if you've seen other other organizations looking at either from that angle or something else. I mean, I'm incredibly uh, passionate about that concept, <laughs> which is, you know, how do you share a talent pool? Because what it does is it increases the optionality uh, both for the employer and for the candidate. So you're going to increase the probability of placing that individual. And it gives you access as an employer to more more candidates, more you know, potential talent to fill your role. Um, so, you know, historically organizations have been a little bit resistant because they don't like the concept of giving away their, you know, <laughs> talent pool. But it is true. If you look at the data, you will see that you'll increase the chances of placing your role faster at a lower cost. So 
I do believe that organizations will become more open to it. And maybe this, you know, situation we're in as, as, a, as, a, as a world, you know, with everything going on will open people's minds to new, new strategies to improve their ability to, to drive that efficiency and improve the outcome for, for, the, for the candidates themselves. Yeah, I, I suppose it's whether you look at it around the outcome or the input. You know, are, are you focused on how it works or are you looking at what it achieves? And if you're looking at sort of the outcome for us. So I, I think I'd be very interested to revisit that with a couple of um, uh, our, uh, our customers to see what see whether the appetite um, has changed and the openness as well. So I, I think that would be a, um, a good one for us. Um, so they were two of the sort of the post our um, last last webinar. We'd say we were talking about uh, the segmentation of the find and engage. So the two sort of um, talking points that come out with the best in class and say, I, I still find that a quite interesting one. And it's a, you know, we're looking at, we see an integrated solution from a tech, a people in the process fit being the best one. And alum, alumni, I think looking at their alumni, the answer, I'm not saying yes or no. I mean, alumni is part of the answer. I think we would all definitely agree on. Um, and I think if we're talking about permanent hiring, I think the dial might move slightly more. You know, when you are looking at the silver medalists, et cetera, I think there is a, uh, yeah, effectively a, a significant amount there. So we see alumni as a, a, as a core part of it. I think it was just that we've seen a more success in it, but I think a, a blended one um, is the is the, the route for all. There were two of the key talking points. But we, we then got onto a discussion about where's the future and our services, there's people, there's process, there's technology. And I think of all of those, I think we can all pretty much admit that the one that's evolving the fastest is technology and data. Uh, so again, Ail, from your position on you know, the tech half of the partnership, where do you see this going? Or what are the opportunities um, for, uh, for direct sourcing? Yeah, and I'm gonna talk about it in the context of some of the exciting things that we're doing through the partnership. Uh, and the vision that we have around um, building out this uh, solution that that we're um, joining forces on. And so when you when you look at direct sourcing, it's a combination of mining your existing database, right? Those are people that um, are prior applicants, passive source candidates, alumni, as we talked about, um, as well as filling the funnel across a wide range of sources. So bringing new candidates into that um, into that ecosystem. And you know, in terms of how we're building out that experience, we're using Maya to not only re-engage the existing pool of talent. Um, in Hayes' case, that's a massive pool. You know, over uh, many years, building out this uh, huge ecosystem of talent. Um, so not only using Maya to re-engage and refresh and reactivate those candidates' um, surface insights and, and what we call signals, which are uh, data, structured data that we're extracting from those engagements to enrich the profiles, but also to apply Maya for all inbound sources. So anytime a candidate shows interest in a job, we're not screening them out. We're screening them into this ecosystem and we're enriching our understanding of what they're looking for, their experience, their skills, right? So now all of a sudden you have the standardized view of all the candidates in your ecosystem, right? And from there, it's about knowing who to target, when to target, and using these engagement methods omni-channel to then force them into the funnel at the right time, right, with the right information, the right content. So that's another way that we're collaborating is to drive 
efficiency um, in actually sourcing new leads into the funnel from that ecosystem. And then it's about nurturing and engaging and, and driving that ongoing relationship over time. Um, so one, uh, another aspect of what we're doing that's really cool is with that data, what we're calling signals, as I share, uh, Hayes is doing a lot of really cool things around matching and what they call the approachability index, um, where they're actually taking that data and applying you know, their own technology on top of it to help improve their ability to match candidates to roles and to understand you know, who's the right people to approach. Maybe Rob, you can share a little bit more about the, the concept of the approachability index. Yeah, I, I, it's, I won't claim to be the data scientist that understands the full mechanisms uh, of how it works, but the, so the approachability index, as you say, I mean, we, we, we previously talked about the, what Meyer and what direct sourcing can do for you, to your point, I think now it's the, the insights it can give you that then reinforms um, the next bit for it. Um, uh, just for the group there, so the approachability index is a, a, a as I said, it's a, it's a collection of signals, as we call them, to identify propensity or, or with people with a higher propensity or, or higher openness to um, be receptive to roles. So um, the, the age-old um, example I give, we all get one email in, in mail a week through LinkedIn saying, I've seen your profile and you look fantastic for this role. And uh, most of us just delete it straight away. You know, because it's two things, you know, you don't necessarily have a relationship with um, said individual uh, and therefore identifying the a building relationship with some individuals and then identifying behaviours or signals, as you called it, um, that for, for individuals who might then be open to a proposition, you know, it allows you a better targeting um, for it. So, yeah, so to claim I understand that the, uh, the technology uh, would not be correct, but it's, um, it's quite exciting. Uh, and it's a you know, something that's going to bring, it's going to make a more efficient and effective um, direct sourcing and um, uh, model over time as well. So, do you, do you see that the big change then? Uh, uh, the it's around is it the data rather than the technology? Is it the data and what we can then do with that that's going to be the step change in the next couple of weeks, months, years? Well, it's, it's the combination, right? It's how do you apply technology in a way that allows you to scale communications and engagement across your entire talent ecosystem, whether it's the inbound or managing and nurturing your, your talent pool and, and re-engaging those individuals. Then it's the insights, the data that we're surfacing to have a better understanding of what are their preferences? Are they, quote, high approachability? And it, what experiences do they have? What are their skill sets? Because that's gonna inform targeting, segmentation, how do you then re-engage and source those individuals to the right opportunities? Uh, but it doesn't end there, Rob. You know, this is an ongoing relationship strategy. So throughout the entire life cycle of that individual and their relationship with the client, how do you maintain that? And maybe when they've gotten a job, as we talked about with alumni, how do you continue that high touch and learn? You know, it's a moving target in many cases. When's their contract end date? What are they looking for? Where are they looking for it? So that we can then proactively re-engage that individual at the right time with the right content to then redeploy them. So it's really that end-to-end -end life cycle experience starting from engage, building a, a rich data set, and then ongoing nurture and, and management of that relationship. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, a it's a subject that you and I touched on briefly 
um, last last time we talked to her around the temporary work or contractor while they're on assignment or while they're working for an organization. I've, I've said it many times before, you look at a process chart for temporary engagement, often starts with a requisition and finishes with a hire. You know, and at the front end, if you're starting with a requisition, you're three months behind. And you know, you should when you finish with the hire, that they they're then here for three months, six months, nine months. And if we're looking at differentiating as an organization to you know continually and ongoing engaged talent, that relationship and that process does continue on. And we often describe it as a loop rather than a process as well, because it feeds back into the beginning. So do you know what is it uh, it's interesting? I think that both parties are working, looking at how we continue to engage, develop uh, the temporary workers or the contractors while they're on assignments as well. So I think that will be a organizations that want to differentiate themselves uh, in engaging that talent. I think that will be definitely an opportunity for them. And oh, looks like an opportunity for the, uh, the two organizations um, as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, it's, you know, the, the, the one thing that people often lose sight of is that, yeah, technology is helping with that engagement, but the, the workflow and, and the combination of people process and technology is, is critical to, um, to the vision and, and how we're building out this solution. So it's, uh, it's not just the technology engaging, it's when's that handoff occurring? When do the recruiters get involved? And how do you prioritize their time? Right. So, look at, look at that. So, a, a good summary of where we started off. Two, two, say, two interesting perceptions or misconceptions that came through. You know, the best in class and the MLI thing. And it'd be be interesting to work through some of these. You know, with the uh, the organisations that we're we're looking at the moment. So, you know, colours of the mask. I think an integrated solution. You know, is going to deliver better on it. And looking at alumni, as I say, I think it's a key part of it. Um, but I wouldn't see it as the uh, the, uh, the the sole that you should be looking at. Although I say I think it might be different in sort of more permanent hiring or direct hiring. And you know, the route we're going down is combination of technology and data, um, and how that would in, uh, inform. So a quick quick summary um, of what we're looking for. I think the the key things. Key things that we would take out of this. I think my first one, we called it fine. I said at the beginning, I think the looking at successful and less successful um, direct sourcing programs, they're just the successful programs have analyzed and identified their demand and have targeted the direct sourcing at the areas that are going to give you your most success. So be that key roles that you just generally need to find that one-off individual or areas where you have a repeat, you know, you can build a critical mass uh, of it. So that, that would be my, my first one that I would call out. Identify what it is you're really going after and deploy direct sourcing in the, in the next way. And um, the, sec the second one's all yours. So the second takeaway is you can acquire talent, you can invest heavily in all of these different programs in the CRM, in the career site, but you need to have a really strong engagement strategy in order to deliver a successful direct sourcing program. How do you engage those individuals? How do you surface insights that are gonna inform when to re-engage them? How are you gonna convert them into the funnel at the right time with the, with the right job opportunity? And then, the, the third takeaway is um, all about data, right? So 
how do you leverage information that you're surfacing at every touch point in this journey to inform a better segmentation, a better targeting, and a better content strategy to source the right individuals at the right time and get them engaged back into the funnel. It's all about the quality and the integrity of the information that you have on those individuals. And so we view that as a very critical part of the overall strategy to deliver a, a, an effective direct sourcing program. And, and then uh, finally, I think our, our fourth category would choose wisely. And you can actually interpret that in many different ways. Choose wisely who you're going to uh, uh, target, choose wisely how you engage, or choose wisely how you um, analyze. But again, I mean, the we called our initial talk, we called this one, you know, reasons your direct sourcing program will fail, or more reasons your re uh, direct sourcing program will fail. And what actually prompted that is because we have seen some that have. Uh, and interestingly, they've been organizations who try to deploy it, who have an amazing brand, reach and otherwise. Um, but what we found is they've either failed on one of the first three, you know, haven't scoped it properly, have gone with the post and apply, or rather than a, you know, what we would call a find and engage approach, haven't used the data to inform the decisions, um, or potentially haven't worked, haven't deployed the right resources, don't have the right resources internally, or haven't engaged the right resources inter externally um, to deliver this as well. So even if you get the first things right, the first three right, if you don't have the expertise and resources, and I do concede they could be internal or external um, resources, there's no reason, let's be honest, a company couldn't potentially do this themselves. Controversial, obviously, from a MSP provider to say this, but you do need to make sure you do have the resources and then the expertise to do it. So anyone who is looking at this as an opportunity, uh, we have been, Pays have been delivering it 10, 15 years very successfully. There are ways to make it successful. You know, for an organization that does deploy it, it can be a critical and very successful project that can decrease your time to get your costs and gives you first-hand opportunity to look at things like your diversity initiatives or some of the other uh, initiatives you might have within your organization. But you do need to get those four things correct. Define what you're doing, make sure you have an engagement strategy, use the data, and make sure that you use the right partners. Okay. So I hope it's given you a little bit of a, uh, just want to uh, go back and address a couple of the things that come out from our last um, uh, presentation, and then sort of uh, addressing a couple of the, the new insights uh, that have come in. Interestingly, you know, from our side, we've had quite a few inquiries or even discussion points around this subject, even in the last four or five weeks. It's a, a key topic that are interesting people. I know there's a number of people looking at the moment. Nice to see how it will develop, but uh, I would encourage everyone to make sure they look at those four. Um, in the meantime, I'm gonna, um, uh, we did open it up for questions and answers. So I'm gonna hand back over to a litter of it's okay, who hopefully has been checking out them and see if there's any uh, key questions you'd like us to answer. But feel free to drop, drop them in the chat. We do have one. So how important is an organization's culture to be able to implement strategy and change? I'll start on that one if it's like, if it's like I'm going to hand it over to a, a tail. The, um, a great graph the last couple of weeks, and it was um, reasons companies couldn't introduce a total talent strategy. You know, and I would see direct sourcing as combining as, as fitting into that. And what was quite interesting was the first two reasons. That companies couldn't do it. And reason number one is that organizers 
it's had a siloed approach. And that siloed approach could either be between functions. I mean, historically, there's always been you know, sometimes been a challenge with procurement and HR fully aligning. It could be silos within the organization, so functional silos, not wanted to work in the other way. The second one, which I found a little bit slightly more surprising, was lack of executive sponsorship. So to actually see these, so, um, but this was a pre-COVID um, uh, survey, and I, I would be interested to see if the same results were there. I think culture is important. I think you know, organisations with a siloed approach are going to be less, uh, less open to this kind of one. Kind of thing, but I think the executive sponsorship for the people, how we develop them, people as a whole, and how do we look at the strategy? I think the silos are breaking down. I think the executive sponsorship it is more, even more of a focus to those. So I think, you know, to answer the specific question, I think culture is very important, but I think we've seen a change over the last six months that is going to make the environment more open to projects like this to be successful. And hey, I'll be interested if you've got any thoughts on that. Yeah, I would say. A lot of organizations are in the mindset of digital transformation. Um, it requires, you know, when, when you're implementing new technology, new process, you know, and reorienting uh, an organization away from the ways of the past and into the future with, you know, adoption of, of these state-of-the-art approaches, um, you know, they could say they want to change, but the change management process is, is challenging. And, from our standpoint, yeah, you could have the culture to want to change, but ultimately to effectively change, it's important for like the partner and the, the leaders of that initiative to get the recruiters involved early, to get the various stakeholders, to get buy-in, for them to understand why it's going to benefit their job, not, you know, uh, <laughs> so, you know, the, the, there's an important role that we all play in actually driving that change, even though they may feel that culturally or mindset, you know, ready for transformation. It, it really requires a combined effort and, and a smart approach to getting everybody bought in. Thank you very much for that question. Alyssa, any others? What are some tips when selecting the right technology to assist with sourcing? Ah, uh, right. Now I'll, I'll, I'll give my headlines and now I'll, we, we, we have a, we use two different descriptors within Hayes around you know different approaches to sourcing. And the old way or the traditional way of doing it is what I would describe as post and apply. So you know, I, I mentioned I mentioned it earlier, you know, in the when I started with Hayes, you posted adverts literally in newspapers. But then obviously moved online, but you posted jobs and people would apply for jobs. It was a, a relatively passive. What we would use now is the phrase find and engage. So find implies uh, the ability to approach individuals. And then engage, build a relationship to them. Um, and looking at some of the what purports to be direct sourcing technology at the moment, there are still a number of them that I would put in the post and apply category. You know, it, yes, it's good for posting a job. Uh, and you know, if there was a, a plethora of talent who all wanted to work for you, that would work. And if I go back to some of the, the, the failed launches I've seen with organizations, the technology and the technique they had was there. So when we look for technology, we need the post and apply. But again, it's not a coincidence that Ailes here. You know, we look for something that can give us that engagement uh, technology. And, and again, I mean, without picking you up too too much, that's where Maya fits in with us because it gives us the engaging at scale. So that from ours, that that's why we work with organisations such as and specifically mine. 
I would say also it depends on what profiles you're sourcing for. So, you know, if it's a professional um, profile, you, you, you may lean more heavily on, you know, uh, semantic matching resume to job to, or job to resume to be able to identify who to target quickly without reviewing a million resumes. And then, you know, the right engagement methodology. Um, when it's high volume and repeatable hiring, I would say the engagement piece is so critical and the ability to scale that on the channel, um, just given the, the, the amount of volume that you need to be able to drive through the funnel. Um, so the, the actual means and how you engage with those candidates at scale is going to be really critical to, to successful sourcing uh, partner. Awesome. Uh, next question is, how do we adapt to the influx of unemployed candidates in the current market due to COVID? Yeah, this is actually a question that came up last time uh, we, we were here uh, as well. Uh, the And we, th there is, a, unfortunately, you know, there are a number of other people looking for um, key roles at the moment. But going back to one of the comments earlier about finding engaged, so this is going to increase the volume of applications, um, potentially in certain, you know, I said earlier that key talent wants to be found, but there are still people applying for roles, and that's uh, there. But I think what's important in this circumstance is, looking at it from the experience of both sides, you know, from the experience of the individuals applying, uh, using having an element of automation and technology that can you to engage at scale. Uh, you know, we can't, there isn't a job necessarily for every one of said individuals, but, you know, at least if they receive a responsive service rather than disappear into the, the famous black hole of CVs, you know, then at least they've got that. And, and again, it's something Mark could do. Uh, and also, you know, when you're looking at from the other perspective, actually trying to identify the, the key individuals who, what, that are suitable for a particular role in what might be now a larger pool is going to be important as well. So we talked to, Al, I think you brought it up earlier, you talked about efficiency and experience. And I, I think in this, there are going to be more applications, so I think efficiency is key. You be able to get through those, but I think as well the experience for all those individuals will also be key. I think you've got to keep those two in mind during this. And Al, anything you'd add to that one? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, if you're going to see more applications as a result of the influx of job seekers in the market, it's so important to not leave them hanging. And you know, that's potentially talent for the future, uh, even if they're not filling the role, right? So. You got to screen them in and, and learn about what their needs are, what they're looking for, and deliver a good experience. Um, the other thing I wanted to quickly mention is it's also an opportunity. You know, there's individuals that may have lost their job and have skills and have capability that might apply to another opportunity that they didn't historically, you know, work in. And you know, it's understanding how those skills translate to new roles. It's a great opportunity. For employers to, to you know help mobilize those individuals into jobs um, that are available that we are scaling that we are hiring for. Okay. Awesome. Um, these two might go hand in hand, but a what kind of results have you seen at Hayes or what impact? And on the back end of that, what differentiates Hayes from other global search firms? Okay, so I think the impact. So, again, it was quite interesting. The senior work it's a contingent workforce um, strategy summit there. It was quite interesting. It was obviously a big topic there. And over the past sort of six or nine months, uh, if I, I've sat in front of 
global financial services organizations, we've had a success rate of less than 1% in you know, hiring uh, individuals. We, I sat in on a, a talk from a, 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 global, a global company who'd implemented it themselves, set themselves a target of 20% and was trending at around 11 you know, at the time of doing it. And then I looked at one of our internal programs that we launched four months ago, and we're trending on a run rate of 50% already. And they're not like for like company, they're slightly different types of organizations. Um, but it was interesting to see you know, the difference in successes uh, that you've got there. And we have long standing programs where our direct sourcing accounts for the vast majority um, of the workers. Now, I'm talking about ones that are 10 years into their program here. I'm not suggesting that's overnight um, successes. But if you have the right profile and you look at the segmentation and the engagement, you can have a proprietary fully engaged talent pool as being your main supplier within a 12 month period uh, and you can get some quick inroads um, uh, before that um, from a differentiation perspective the you know, i think it is the it's basically using talent acquisition and what you might call as rpo uh, type techniques and delivering it for direct sourcing within an msp uh, environment. We, we launched our first direct sourcing program 15 years ago uh, in the UK. So yeah, experience and know-how, I think, would be two, uh, two of the key differentiators. I said it earlier, being, being resources or expertise, uh, and then ability to bind technologies, partners, and data into a you know, fully exclusive or fully integrated solution, I think would be the success. But, uh, open it up to Al. You work with us, <laughs> so when you work with us, what is it you see in Hayes, or, or do or don't see in Hayes, or do or don't see in others that you think would lead to a successful one? Well, I actually I pulled up some some data from uh, some of our programs that we've run uh, with Hayes, and this this was a specific uh, program targeting IT workers, office support. Um, more recently doing a number of programs um, in North America as well uh, related. And just to give you a sense of the results, you know, of the 31,000 candidates that we had contacted, these were part of the Hayes Talent ecosystem. We saw four, almost 40% engage where we're actually able to get signals and insights from those individuals. Um, over 5,000 profiles that we completely built out and enriched. Uh, through the entire, uh, ended, uh, completed the entire conversation. And we scheduled 1,800 interviews. So we're talking from 31,000, you know, inactive profiles to almost 2,000 scheduled interviews through this engagement model. So um, definitely some, some really positive results. And, and we've seen very consistent results across the different markets and, and uh, job categories that we've supported. Yeah, and we have to concede that wasn't one client. That's a that's some aggregate results across a number of different um, initiatives that we did there. Don't, don't worry, we 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 didn't arrange one thousand eight hundred interviews of one individual client in one go, but we've run a couple of um, parallel um, programs in it. But I, I do I, I do quite like that. Sam, it, it does give you a um, it, it does give you a scope. And it goes back to a bit about alumni. You know, they they may or may not have been alumni, but they were redundant or passive or you know uh, uh, whatever. Uh, candidates that you know were brought back to life and genuinely in the passive environment going back to our bind, bind and engage so thank, thank, thanks that Al. and that, no we didn't see that one Al generally did um uh to drag out those statistics halfway through 
Alyssa, um, that's bringing us close up to the hour. Are there any other key key ones in there that we're going to seed in? No, I think that's about it. Well, thanks for everyone for your time. Thanks everybody for joining. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Source. If you liked what you heard, you can follow Hayes Talent Solutions on LinkedIn, where we post daily insights and reminders for upcoming episodes. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcast episodes, feel free to reach out to us via email at contacttalentsolutions at hayes.com.